0: Good morning. Hear then the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 15, 11 through 25. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property his property and reckless living and when he had spent everything a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was standing a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to him, "Father." and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And when he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, But when this son of yours came and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God add his wisdom to the reading of his holy word.
1: Amen. We've been in a series for the past several weeks on things that the world would all agree are great things, cultural values. And we've been analyzing how the cross of Jesus makes them even truer than what they ever could have been. So we've looked at things like curiosity, silence, community, authenticity, rest, all as things that the the world around us or our culture would say, those are great things. Those are good things to pursue, they're values. And today, there's no better day to look at that than this. Today, we're looking at beauty, beauty. What do you think of when you first hear the word beauty? Already this morning, you have seen beautiful things. Yesterday, a group of five of us slaved outside trying to make the outside of the church beautiful. And my body feels it today. But thank you to Dennis and to Cindy and to Alan and to Andrew and Sarah and my family who came by yesterday to make the outside of our church beautiful, to plant flowers, to see beautiful things as you came in today. You've heard beautiful things today. Kim's beautiful voice and singing of the holy city of Jerusalem. What a gift that was to hear that beauty this morning. You've probably tasted something beautiful today. Maybe it was coffee. Maybe it was a delicious breakfast. Beauty is something we long for as humans. We pursue it. We are beauty-seeking people. That's how we were created. We were made for beauty And today we get the chance to go even deeper into what beauty actually was always meant to be and how to truly understand what beauty is. Beauty can also be elusive. Spring comes and then fades into the heat of summer. Our voices grow old and crack. If we don't eat something on the right time, then it turns moldy or bad and then it's no longer beautiful. There's a story of a a woman named Grandma Alice that I read about this week who she was living in kind of the the gold rush era out west when everybody was moving out west to try to find gold out in the mountains and she thought it all was was dumb. She said, "This is foolish. People should not be wasting their lives trying to find gold. You know, live your life, work hard, do your own thing, but don't go you know, throwing everything upside down to find gold. And so she was back in her backyard one day, um, sanding down a rock in her garden, just making what she had beautiful. And then she started to see gold emerge from this rock as she was sanding it. And she said to herself, no, this couldn't be, this couldn't be. She kept doing it. More gold kept coming. And she got so excited. Her mind started to go with all the places of, I'm rich and everything is not open to me. This is changing my life. Her heart started to beat fast and she went inside and told her family they came out. And then they realized that the gold she was seeing was simply the ring, her wedding ring that was rubbing up against the rock that had began to peel and to shave off. And then all of a sudden she caught herself and said, I just got caught up in the same beauty seeking of gold that I was accusing everybody else of going after. How quickly we get drawn in to the false alluring beauties of the world even when we're not trying to but there is a deeper beauty and you've already heard it this morning you can see it if you look around this room and you can feel it if you have the encounter yourself true and everlasting beauty is the love of a pursuing god for sinners like you and me. There's a painting, which Kevin, you can go ahead and put this on the screen now if you want. There's a painting, a famous painting by Rembrandt uh, called The Prodigal Son, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And we're just going to leave this on the screen for you to look at as you wish as I just unpack the story a little bit that Brian read so beautifully a moment ago of the Prodigal Son story in Luke 15 but it shows in visual a representation of what the story describes. You'll notice there's some differences, but the painting beautifully describes and shows the father receiving back a son in selfless, beautiful love. And it's a sign of true beauty. The context of Luke 15 comes with a statement that is made At the beginning of the chapter, in verse 2 of chapter 15, it says, The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. They were shocked that Jesus would eat with sinners and hang out with the low-class people of society. And so in response to that, Jesus gives three parables. And the prodigal son, the one that Brian read, is the third of three parables that Jesus gives in response to what the Pharisees said. And all of the parables deal with something that was lost that has now been found. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. There's 99 sheep that are staying, but one of them has left and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. The next parable is of a lost coin that a woman couldn't find in her house and she turned her whole house upside down so she could find the one coin. And then of course the story we're looking at this morning is the story of the youngest son who recklessly throws out his life and yet the father goes and finds his son and brings him back. Each of the parables end with the statement and there was was joy. They celebrated, and they were rejoicing because what was once lost has now been found. And that's my that's my only thought for you this morning. This is not a sermon where I'm gonna give you a lot of points to ponder or like lecture notes maybe. So if you're a note taker, sorry, I'm not gonna preach it that way necessarily this morning. This is more just let's get into the story and let it speak to us. This is one of those, I say this every once in a while, this is an example of a sermon where I need to get out of the way so you can just hear what God is saying through the parable. And the point is, what once was lost now has been found. And that is true beauty. Every other beauty in the world points to that beauty. That runaways can be found and be restored. We pursue beauty, God pursues us. Because the implication is that for God, We are beautiful. He pursues beautiful things. So let's just start looking at the story a little bit this morning. The younger son, verses 11 to 19. How did the younger son pursue beauty in his life? It says in verse 12 that he went to his father and asked for an early share of his inheritance for wealth he would get an advancement of the wealth that was coming to him. And his father gave it to him. And it says, then he went and traveled to a faraway country. He was seemingly discontent with his current, maybe ordinary, boring life at home, on the farm, maybe. And he was desiring to do something more. He wanted to pursue beauty by going and doing something extravagant, going to a faraway place. It doesn't say how long he was at that faraway country. It doesn't say what he did there necessarily, other than he squandered it. We'll get to that in a moment. But it doesn't really tell us much about it. But I wonder what the younger son saw, what he did, what he experienced, what beauty he was pursuing, and did he find it? Did he experience great things? Did he find what he wanted to find? There are no indications from the story that he did. It didn't tell us that he found what he was looking for, but I bet if you asked him in the middle of it, if he was enjoying himself, I bet he would have said yes, because that's how we work as humans, is when we make a decision, you think you make the right decision until you know you made the wrong decision. So until the moment where you have absolute certainty that it was a bad decision you make, you're going to convince yourself that it was the right thing to do. So I bet if you asked him in the middle of his experience or his adventure, if he was finding everything he wanted, I bet he would say, yeah, I'm living my life. But what made him so bold to ask his father at the beginning for that advance inheritance? What made him so bold to ask such a shame-giving thing to his father? You see, to ask for your inheritance in advance is basically saying to your father, you're dead because you only receive an inheritance truly when your father dies, that's when you are receiving it. So to ask for it in advance is basically pronouncing death upon the father. So what made him so bold to even ask the father in the first place? His father had to have been such a great father, a trusted father, a loving father, one who wanted what was best for his child one who was free to his child, who would give him something, knowing that he would learn from it, but he didn't want to withhold from his child. He would give to him what he asked for, even if it was taken advantage of later. I just think even from the beginning, you see that this dad must have had such a love for his son to the point where the son could even fathom to ask. He knew he wouldn't be turned away he knew there was a trust there from the beginning. And you know the result. He squandered it. What a, what a word, squander. He squandered his wealth, verse 13. That literally means, I looked at it, I was like, what is, what, is, what is the author trying to get at with the word squander here? It basically just means he scattered it. It's like he was given a million bucks and he just took, took all of them and just threw them out scattered them. Some goes here, some goes here, some goes here, some goes here and scattered it, squandered it. It's gone. went everywhere. His future is gone. Just like that squandered because he was living a reckless life. A great word, reckless, right? It's just one of those words where you say it and you know what it means. It's wreck wrecked his life with it. it. Cost him everything, it was a misguided attempt to find beauty because it was gone in a second. And then famine came in verse 14. And the son has nothing left, no money, no beauty that he's found. And now there's a famine and he's desperate. And that's when he knew he made a bad decision. But trying to make something of it because he knew the shame of coming back home, what that would feel like to him, he goes and tries to hire himself off and he goes to work for a pig owner. He finds a guy who runs a pig shop and says, let me work for you. All while in the back saying, maybe worst case scenario, at least I got a meal. I can eat what the pigs eat. And even worse than that, they wouldn't give him what the pigs would eat. That's how bad the scenario got. He wanted to eat the pig food and they wouldn't even give it to him. So finally, at the end of all that, rationality comes. Verses 17, 18, and 19. Verse 17, it says, when he came to himself, boom, lights come on. You made a bad decision, younger son. I'm I'm in a bad place. I have nowhere to go. Bad decision. Rationality comes. Lights turn on. He realizes that what his father had given him was actually pretty good. He could go back to his house, work for his dad, admit his mistake, give up his status of being a son, because his inheritance was gone. He's like, don't even treat me like a son anymore. I'll just say, just take me into your your shop. I'll work for you. Just treat me like an employee. And that's better than what I have now. Do you see how hopeless that is? He's given up on the idea of even being a son even anymore. He's given up on beauty and now he simply settles for being rational, for simply surviving. You see how, I mean, I've been talking for maybe five minutes about this, how quickly he went from excited about life, seeking beauty, going out to a faraway country, adventure, and now he's like, I'm just gonna survive. We stop pursuing beauty in life when life beats us down. Some of us are more persevering than others. Some of us have had harder lives than others, a harder life than others. But when life beats us down, we our tendency as humans is to stop pursuing the beautiful things and just try to survive. We turn into survival mode people. We simply settle for the basics, just get a house and a job, no more beauty seeking. Now we're just simply living at best, maybe still wandering deep down in our souls, still knowing we're lost. And so he... Swallows his pride and says, I'll go home. I don't know where else to go. I'll go home. To his trusted father who trusted him enough to give him everything. Who loved him enough to give him an early inheritance. Who didn't hold him back or question him, but instead freely let him go in love. And so verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Let's talk about that father for a second. We've learned just through between the lines that he was probably a great dad, loved his son, trusted him, trusted him enough to let him freely choose what he wanted. How did the father pursue beauty in his life? All we know about the father from this story is that he had two sons and a farm, some kind of business, his life was set up was setting up a life that he could one day pass along to his two sons. Something that he could give to his sons. We know nothing else from him other than he had this property and he had his sons and he had some servants. But what we do know is that right from the beginning verse 11 is that this story while it's traditionally known as the story of the prodigal son, this story is really all about the father. Verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. It's not, there was a son who had a dad and a brother. This story is about the father. He is the central character of the story. And he gives a beautiful five-fold spontaneous response to the slightest sight of his son in the distance. He saw him. He had compassion for him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. Feel the action of beauty there. There's no hesitation here. He just does what a truly loving father does. Nothing was keeping him from doing any of those things. There wasn't a hesitation. He wasn't mad at the rebellion at that moment. He wasn't remembering his selfishness. He wasn't holding his sin against him. He just went and embraced his son. He took the initiative at the first sign of life from his son. Focus just on the embrace here for a second. This is not just a hug. This is an embrace. I read this week, This is exciting news for Disney lovers. Um, At Disney World, Mickey Mouse is now allowed to hug customers again. After two years of the COVID pandemic, where they had to keep the characters up on a stage and you could just wave to the Disney visitors, Mickey Mouse is now allowed to come down into the streets. And if you're a little kid, you can now run up to Mickey like you could for the previous 75 years. You can run up to Mickey Mouse and receive a hug again. It's more than a hug, right? It's a symbol of what once was a reality, COVID, pandemic, fear, isolation, is now, it's gone. There's freedom now to be received by Mickey Mouse. This is more than just a hug from the father to the son. This is an affirmation of what once was dead is now alive again. I'm not holding things against you. I am loving you. I am affirming your son-ness. I'm affirming that you are still mine. Nothing you could have done could keep you from me. On the front of your bulletin, it's a quote from Henry Nowen, which is uh, someone who wrote a book on this painting about his experience with this painting by Rembrandt. And on the front of the bulletin, it says, in the context of a compassionate embrace, our brokenness may appear beautiful. So let me just pause there for a second. We love to focus on the son in this picture or in this story because we see how broken he is and how he's being received by his father. And it makes brokenness seem okay because you and I know that we're broken, right? We've realized that we're fragile people who need an embrace by people, especially when we're at our lowest. But the quote says, but our brokenness has no other beauty but the beauty that comes from the compassion that surrounds it. The reason our brokenness can be accepted is because there is a compassionate embrace that comes around us. See the father's embrace of the son here? See the hands on him? This is shocking restoration that the father gives to his son. The son still has to give his rehearsed confession. And he gives it word for word here. Remember, he repeats it. He's already say, He already said in advance what he would tell his father. And you can tell, just like a good actor, he just needs to get it out because he memorized it so well. I just need to get out my confession. And so he did. And what does the father do? I was talking to Brian about this earlier. The father ignores it. He didn't even need him to say it. He says, what does he say right afterward? He says, but the father said to his servants, he doesn't even acknowledge what what he said necessarily. He just says, my servants, bring him. Bring him the robe. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf to eat and celebrate. You see those five things? He gave the fivefold spontaneous response when he saw him off in the distance. And now he gives five more spontaneous, joy-giving celebration things. All this is initiated by the gracious pursuit of the Father. While he was still a long way off, the Father saw him and ran to him. Far off. I'll ask you this morning, Is in what sense was the sun far off? Physically, sure. 100 yards, 200 yards. However, whatever's the farthest distance where you can be seen, that's how far off he was physically. But was it far off in other senses too? Relationally? Emotionally, spiritually. The gospel of Jesus tells us that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The father saw this not as some kind of moral correction. That's why he embraced him. He messed up and now I need to correct him. He saw this as a resurrection situation. My son who was once dead now is alive. He saw this as a salvation situation. He who was once lost has now been found. Just like the sheep, just like the coin, the son has been found and now there's rejoicing. The last point I want to make is on the older son. Because again, this story is about the father, not just the younger son. There's another son in this story, and he's the older son who pursued beauty in life through obedience, through working hard, through doing everything right and simple and prudent. He pursued beauty and life through fairness and equity, staying to the line obeying the rules, doing what is right. And he is deeply concerned at the father's reckless mercy towards his brother. Deeply concerned, angry to the point where he stays far off himself. He stayed outside. He refused to go in is what it says. He voices his concerns to the father and to the servants he even adds in details to the story, like, my younger brother was with prostitutes. We don't know that. But the son was making an inference there of what he was doing. And he even says to the father, this son of yours, do you, you feel the relational distance there? This son of yours, detaching himself relationally from it. The, old, the older son is just as far off here as the younger son was. He was distant from the Father during the whole experience. He only heard the music from a distance. The party started without him. He didn't want to go anywhere near. He was far away from the action. He had to ask someone who was closer to the situation what was happening, and he didn't want to come in. He was still far away himself. Physically, yes, but also relationally, emotionally, spiritually. Distance is the theme throughout this parable. The sons are far away. The father comes close. He pursues in love. He pursues beauty and life and is through his sons by loving them. He comes out. The father comes away from the party to pursue the older son, too. Comes out. He left the party to talk to him and to comfort him. And to affirm him: all that is mine is yours. Nothing has changed for the older son's status. The father loves him deeply. Joy does not get overlooked or skipped in the father's house. Joy is there for the younger son. Joy is still remaining for the older son because of the pursuing love of the father. So as we wrap up for us today on a day like Palm Sunday, we think about Jesus. Intentionally getting on a donkey outside the city of Jerusalem. Coming near to those inside the city walls. In humility, knowing what was inside those city gates. He came from outside to in, pursuing his people in love taking on what we'll see later this week as the most unbeautiful thing you can imagine, the ugliness of the cross of Calvary, laying down his life, taking on the scorn of the world, showing us the full extent of what the Father in this parable is like, showing us deep mercy Embracing us with an everlasting love to bring us back to life and resurrection power, which he does a week from today. But he's not just the Father in the parable, Jesus is also like the younger son in the parable. The prodigal son went away and threw away everything and was restored back through the mercy of the Father. So too, Jesus intentionally went and threw himself away and was received by the Father in mercy as well. Jesus gave up everything that was rightfully his so that you and I could have it. He gave his sonship to us by willingly laying himself down in love. And Jesus is also the older son who was perfectly obedient and yet shows us the true love of the Father that frees us from the bondage of resentment as Henry Nowen says, Jesus is sent by God to reveal God's unremitting love for all his resentful children and to offer himself as a way home. And when we see God like this, our lives turn into beauty-seeking lives once again. The psalmist says, there's one thing that I ask for, Psalm 27, one thing that I ask for that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and do what? Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, because that's what God is—immensely beautiful—and He's beautiful because of the love that He has shown us. I'll finish with this illustration. Um, I was talking to my neighbor this week on Warren Street. Maybe you guys know this person, um, but I was walking by his house and I—he was painting his fence. And in his front yard, he has these little, this time of year, these little blue flowers just emerge all over his front and backyard. And um, so I told him, I said, you just need to know that your little blue flowers in your yard are the sign of spring for my family. When we see the little blue flowers, we know that spring is here, so thank you. And he said, oh, those little blue flowers, those things are taking over the world. He said, we used to have three of them in our backyard. And frankly, we did everything we could to not make them grow or thrive. We had poor sunlight. We just we tried to pull them up, but they still grew and they grew and they grew. And now there's four thousand of them. And I said, well, at least they're beautiful. And he said, exactly. He said, they're taking over the world in beauty. And I said to myself, you're right. And that's what the cross of Jesus does for us. Takes over the world in beauty And when you see the beauty of the Father, it is through the lens of love, selfless, sacrificial love. We're going to finish by singing a song in just a moment. It's a new song for this church called The Everlasting Love of God. But it's one that Javier and the Vances and Sarah and I learned at a conference this past September. And it is a beautiful song about the love of Christ that I just couldn't get off my mind this week as I was preparing for this sermon. Um, And it's also my oldest daughter's favorite song in the whole world right now. Nora's favorite song. And um, so she's going to love that we're singing this this morning. But it comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read this passage and then we'll stand and sing this together as we finish. Let this be our closing prayer before we sing. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the length, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Friends, may you see and sense the love, the everlasting love of God for you today. May you find yourself in this story as an elder son, as an older son, as the younger son, as resentful, as a runaway. Wherever you are in life, the mercy of God runs after you. And that is the beauty of life that is offered in Christ.